All right, I'm back. I brought a friend. Uh, if, you, if you guys don't know Chris, this is Chris Townley. Uh, he, he worked here as a student ministries pastor here before Carling and I uh, are doing it now. And you guys are in Phoenix because your wife is in med school? Correct. That is correct. Great. And uh, Chris is going to be preaching for us this morning. Uh, but before, wait, 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 wait. Don't clap yet. I wanted to do a certain kind of clap because we used to do this at Campus Crusade. I'm going to start us a slow clap and we're going to welcome Chris, okay? Ready? All right, have fun. Oh, wow. Thanks for that. Uh, good to be back, Journey. Good to see you all. Uh, I was here about a month ago, and because that went all right, so it's nice to see you again. Uh, second time around. Uh, yeah, as Mark said, born and raised here in Bozeman. Uh, love this place. I, I know you guys might be a little like, come on, rain. What's, it, what's going on? Man, that's nice, though. That's nice, that rain, that, that cold rain. Uh, it's not a desert rain that comes in the form of a monsoon and then ups the humidity to like 70% and it's 100, never mind. It's good to be back, guys. It's good to be back. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dive in here in a moment to John 4, but let, let me set the stage a little bit for that. Uh, and just, I want you starting to think now about stories and your own stories and what stories mean and how Jesus might be involved in your stories. And we're going to kind of look at this story that we'll get into here in a moment through the, the lens in which Paul kind of writes about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when he says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and a new life has begun. That'll kind of frame where we're going here in a moment. But if that's too simple or straightforward for you, here's how I've titled today's sermon. Provocative conversations, drinking mountains, and your sister. All right, so there's this story in John chapter four where Jesus, he's walking along, he's on this trip traveling from Judea to Galilee and he stops in Samaria at this well and it's the middle of the day and he's hot in the desert, which makes sense. And so he asks for a drink from this woman and they start to have this conversation uh, around water, first of all, just like natural water and how you drink it. And then Jesus starts talking about living water. And then the next thing you know, they're talking about relationships and pasts and all this stuff. And then the next thing you know, she's sprinting off into the village and all these people come out, hang out with Jesus and he chills with them for two extra days in Samaria and the whole place is transformed. Okay, it's kind of a nuts story. That's your quick version. But before we dive back into all of that and see what it might have for us, let's pray and then we'll go from there. God, again, we just acknowledge that you are our God. We love you. We come here in this space and we thank you that we can gather like this. Uh, I pray that... Whatever it is we might be walking in here with, whether it's good or bad, it's heavy or light, it's from years and years back, or it's something that's just this week, that, that at the end of all of that, we would just lay that before you. And we would say, all right, Jesus, here I am. Here's all of me. And, and you speak to us, God. You speak to us in our present lives right now, not just as individuals, but even as your body, the body of Christ, your church, would you speak to us uh, in that way as well, God. And I pray for myself, I pray that I would only speak words that are for you and from you. I pray that we would make much of you and keep pointing to you. And if there's anything that I would say that's not doing that, I pray that it would be forgotten quickly. And so God, we give you this day. We love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. So I think it would be safe to say as we start to think about stories that we all have a story. 
Like we all have something that brings us to this present day, all of these experiences in our lives that, that mesh together. They could be good or they could be bad. They could be shameful or successful. They could be life or death. Like there's all sorts of things that have come together in our lives along the way that represent our story and leave us in this place. And I think what's so interesting about whenever we gather together on like a Sunday like this in a room and we're at least here on some level with an intentionality of saying, Jesus, would you collide with my story? Something begins to change in that. Something begins to change in how we view the story and what that means going forward. And as that something begins to change, what actually is happening in my view is that God's allowing us to start again. He's not erasing what was there before. He's taking that and allowing us to then start again in the same way that he says, uh, new life, right? New life is here. The old life is gone. Let's start again. And so it's in this place of relationship where we begin to grasp that we're recreated for a different kind of living that's only found in and through Jesus. And so that's some of the plane that we're on. And if you're not like, then listen in. And if you wanna get on anytime along the way, well, we'll be there because that's kind of all theoretical. And I think we'll find that when we jump in to this story, we'll, we'll find ourselves encountering Jesus firsthand. So we're gonna be looking at John chapter four. You can turn there in an actual Bible if you have one. It's not on your notes page because it's too many verses and it didn't fit. So you can also follow along on the screen. But as you're getting there, I wanna, I wanna give you two things to ruminate on up front about John four. The first thing is this. This is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with someone in the gospels. Right, this is the longest one. So that just to me right there, whoever was recording John, right? Like John, as he's writing this, he, he put the whole thing down and it ended up being the longest one. So there's gotta be something in that whole exchange for, for us to pay attention to and see uh, differently. And so there's that. And then the second thing is this, outside of Jesus, the main character in this story is a woman. And this woman is from Samaria. And so now Jesus ends up talking to a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day. And that would have been like the ultimate taboo conversation for a Jewish man to be having alone in the middle of the day with a Samaritan who's a woman, no less. So there's like this polarizing interaction that's about to take place. So you have to even have that in mind as you begin to enter in to what's about to happen here. So like all good stories, let's start at the beginning. John 4, verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now that's a pivotal piece of this story because Jesus apparently had to go through Samaria because in terms of geography, he actually didn't have to go through Samaria. It just so happened that Jews who were traveling from Judea to Galilee actually diverted around Samaria all the time. They, they, yeah, that was the most direct route, but they would choose not to go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria. So now Jesus appears to have to go there. And that's when we start to figure out what's going on with these Samaritans and the Jewish people of the time, right? There's this long-standing rivalry that existed there, right? Each, each 
group claimed that they had, they, they had Torah, they had the law, they had the right place to worship, right? They, 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 they were the ones who were gonna claim the Messiah. Like this thing was happening all the time. And so at that time, most Jewish people would view the Samaritans as a form of half-breed. Like they, they weren't friends, they didn't hang out, they weren't tight. Like there was tension in their relationship that went back hundreds of years. And so when Jesus as a Jewish man walks right into the middle of that, he's saying, I have to be here. I have to be here. And so we should, we should just pause at that point in the story and reflect for a moment and think about ourselves. Like how, how often do we do what maybe the typical Jewish traveler would do where we would divert around, we would take the long way around those who we don't like or those we disagree with or those that we despise or those who make us uncomfortable. How often do we choose the long way around so as to not engage in that place? Let that sit for a second because really that's what's gonna catch us off guard in this whole interaction. Jesus wanted to go through Samaria even though he didn't have to go through Samaria. Here we go, verse five. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. Sychar would have been a village of about like 300 to 1,000 people. So you can get an idea of the size of this village in Samaria that they're coming up to. And so he gets there and it's near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat nearly beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. So now you gotta get into the story again. You have to, be, be, to pretend like you're walking this way and it's hot out. I, I live in the desert now, so I understand what it might be like to want to drink at noontime in the hot sun. Like that, that's, that's a thing that happens a lot. And the more that we're gonna talk about water, the more you're gonna want to drink and you'll find out how real it is to just be sitting somewhere wanting a drink. So here's Jesus at this well. And as he's there, this woman shows up and now we're on the cusp of this provocative conversation that's gonna take place. Something's about to happen, something different because he's already done something unique by addressing her and asking her for something, saying, would you give me a drink? Here's how the next verses go, eight and nine. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So he sent his disciples off and now he's found himself all alone at the well. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. We've already talked about that. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She's aware of the cultural tension that exists as well. And she is just as surprised as anyone else would be as they're reading this, that Jesus is engaging in a conversation with her. This woman, she already has like multiple strikes against her in terms of being accepted culturally, right? First of all, like that she's Samaritan. And like she says, the Samaritans and Jews don't associate with one another. And then she's a, a woman. And a woman, and this time, had very little standing, had very little say, had very few rights. So she's already, again, pushed back behind the cultural wall that's separating everybody else. And now she's alone, so she's a Samaritan woman who's all alone in the middle of the day interacting with Jesus. 
And to top it all off, Jesus asks for a drink, which is crazy because it's just very unlikely that a Jew would want to share a drinking vessel with the Samaritan woman, right? Like, I don't know, first century cooties or something, right? Like that, that's how they would view that. And so here's Jesus now with this conversation happening, deconstructing and breaking down this whole idea that they've been building on for hundreds of years, us versus them. And he's showing up again in this place. And in one felt swoop, he changes the narrative to us, just us. And so when she asks him, why are you asking me for a drink? He responds like this. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. If you only knew the gift God has for you. Like just just put yourself in that, that situation. You're this woman and you're talking to this man. Like that might be the only thing you need to hear today. Like if you only knew the gift God had for you. Like if you only knew what would change, what would be different? How would your story be different? Like what what would be something in your life that would look different than it does now if you only knew the gift he had for you? And so then he talks about the gift is this kind of living water, this living water. Here's what she says. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket and this well is very deep. You don't have a rope or a bucket, right? She's like, you don't have the tools to draw out this living water. You don't have the things that you need to do that. Like, how could you possibly do it? And look, it's all the way down there. Where would you get this living water, she says. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Right, she knows this water actually is living water because it sustained them for years and years and years. It's given life to them and their livestock and their families and that's what they've lived on. That gift from Jacob way back. But Jesus replies, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is saying to her, right? Like, don't stay thirsty, my friends, right? Like Jesus, he's the original, most interesting man in the world. And instead of like, stay thirsty, my friends, right? He's like, no, 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 don't stay thirsty, my friends. This is a water that will sustain you forever a totally different kind of water. But what is he doing? Because first they were talking about what? Just water that you would drink. And now he's saying it's water that will sustain you forever. And so now what he's doing is he's blurring the lines between the physical water that we need and the spiritual water we need. And now we're not even sure what kind of water it is that we're talking about. And so the woman says, please, sir, give me this water. Right, like it just, you have to imagine being the woman again and you come to this well every single day at noon and you carry your bucket with you and you drop it down into the well and you pull it out and you carry it back every day at noon. And he says, I can give you a water that will make sure you never go thirsty again. And she's like, that's the water I want because I'm tired of making this trip to the well at noon every day by myself. Give me this water. She says, then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. She takes it all very literally. 
right? Like apparently Jesus was going to like install a faucet in her home, right? Fortunately, we live in that world where we access that water every day now, right? But she, she wanted to not have to make the trip. She takes it very literally, but she's intrigued. And at this point though, she's intrigued for her own sake, right? So that she doesn't have to make this trip anymore. Like who wants to keep going to a well in the middle of the day? Nobody, it's freaking hot out. Like we don't wanna make that trip. And so after she exclaims for water, right? She's like, give me that water. I don't wanna have to come back here. Jesus shifts directions and says this, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. What? Right, did you catch what she just said, right? Give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come back here to get water. Go and get your husband. What is this shift that's happening? Now they're not talking about water. And so she responds, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Dang, it just got personal. Right, he cut right into that. Like, what's he up to? Jesus, as Jesus is often doing, is flipping the script, right? Her, her original desire was for just herself, so she didn't have to make that trip. And now Jesus has turned it into an intimate exchange that reveals the challenges of her past. Like, just give me the water. But it's at this point, though, that much of the teaching that, that we've heard on this, if you've ever read about the woman at the well or you've heard about it, you've been in places where people talk about it, is, is we often start to label this woman. The moment we know about her past and her relationships, we start to assign a label, right? And so she's often described by people when you talk about the woman at the well. And even as I'm talking to people before I ever prepared this message, right? Like the things they think of are like she's a prostitute or, or she's a whore or she sleeps around. And we assign this label to her and many names get tacked on to her identity. She's remembered for her past, right? She's remembered as that kind of woman. And what I think we do is we label her like this in a way to disassociate ourselves from her experience. We don't wanna to relate to her. We wanna compare ourselves to her, right? We, we wanna say something different about ourselves. Like certainly we couldn't be in that boat. Look at us, like I've had two husbands or whatever, right? But what if we saw her in the same way that Jesus sees her or sees all people, right? Because here's the thing about this woman at this time in that world, right? Culturally, during this time, a woman could only request a divorce. She couldn't issue it herself. She couldn't go and say, yes, we're divorced. Here's the paper. I already signed mine. You sign yours. She could request it, but she couldn't make it happen. And so to have five husbands then would probably imply that at least maybe one of them had passed away. And so then now you already start to think about her differently because you think about what it's like to be a widow, right? And then maybe that happened or maybe she did make some destructive choices, but I mean, it's probably unlikely that all five of her husbands died. That would maybe give you reason to why the sixth one is yet to marry her, right? Like, like I don't know. Right? Maybe, maybe she's been rejected multiple times. Maybe she's made choices that have also been destructive to her own marriage. Maybe that's happened as well. Like maybe she's made decisions that fractured a relationship or two. Maybe that happened. 
But regardless, the truth is that she tried to avoid the issue of her past husband's and current relationship. She didn't wanna talk about that with Jesus. She tried to avoid it just in the same way she tried to avoid talking about it and sharing that part of her story with all the other people in her village. Because how do we know that? Because she would go to the well at noon by herself. I don't know if now that I've lived in an arid desert climate, right? Like you don't go anywhere at noon. That's, that's ridiculous. If you're doing anything, you're doing it at 5 a.m., the coolest, coldest part of the day, and you have to gotta be done by 5.30, right? Or else you've sweat through all your clothes, right? So she, when do all the other women go and collect water? Certainly in the beginning of the day when it's cool. No one would go at noon unless you don't want your story to associate with anyone else around you. When you want to avoid that or that story has become your definition of who you are. And you carry that with you every day. And so we read this story of this woman at the well and we, like we wanna think like, where's her sin? Is it the five marriages? Is it something in there? Is it the sixth relationship? Like, so they're cohabitating, right? Like, is that it? Really, we have all these ideas. And it seems to me that Jesus is just saying, right? There's obviously something here that has fractured the relationships. Well, that is what sin is. It fractures relationships. It's destructive. Obviously, that exists in this place. And what we know is that it's brought her great shame. And just like this woman, our reality is that we tend to hide stories like this. Our own stories that are filled with some sort of shame, we hide those. Right? Stories of, of past struggles, of broken relationships, of hitting rock bottom, of cheating and scandal and death and unfulfilled potential and bankruptcy and losing this. Like we, we hide those stories so that other people can't see them because we're shamed by them. And so we can't be so quick to disassociate ourselves from this woman because we know this feeling, don't we? We know what it's like to quote unquote, carry our bucket of water to the well in the middle of the day. We know what that feels like in our own lives, whatever that looks like for you. And we know what it's like to just like this woman thirst for some sort of belonging or purpose or meaning. And we also know what it's like to search for that in all these dead end wrong places that don't satisfy that longing. We can relate to that. And so for this woman, it's like these husbands are her well, the place that she goes to, to be fulfilled, satisfied, to, to find provision even. And we all have our own types of water that we think will quench our longing thirst. So perhaps we're more like this woman than we tend to think. And as we shift our perspective so that we see her this way, perhaps we'll stop seeing her as a slut and we'll see her as our sister because then that changes the entire narrative for our own lives and for the lives that we see other people living as well. If we can identify them as brother and sister, that's Jesus again breaking down the paradigm of us and them. There's only us. And so here's our sister's response to Jesus revealing her past and her current relationship, right? He told her, you've got five husbands, you're not living with one, that sort of thing. And she says, sir, you must be a prophet, right? You must be a messenger of God. You must know something on a higher level than this. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? 
Now again, the whole conversation just shifted, right? We went from water to relationships to where we're supposed to worship. What's really interesting is now the woman wants to get all theological because Jesus started shooting to her heart to her own state of living, the things that she's working through and thinking on. And instead of speaking to that, she's like, let's get theological, right? Like, but what's your, what's your atonement theory? How do you feel about missions at your church? What's the role of women? Like we just start to talk all these theological things when Jesus is pointing directly to this place in our lives. She starts getting all theological, like, you know, what about this place and that place and this place? She wants to know where to worship. And so Jesus says this, right? The Samaritans want to worship here. The Jews want to worship here. And Jesus says this, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This woman is asking, where do I go to worship? Which mountain? The one here that we Samaritans think is the mountain or the one that you Jews think in Jerusalem? And Jesus is going, I am the mountain. I am the mountain that you come to worship. Right, the, the mountain comes to you now. Right, he's saying, drink this mountain, drink the living water that only I can offer. There's no proper place to meet him because he's all about relationship and you can have that anywhere. You don't have to just show up in this place at this time to encounter God. He will meet you anywhere. He's saying, I am the mountain that comes to you. And so what he's doing is he's turning all of that theology on its head by saying that the mountain comes to you, the tabernacle comes to you, the temple comes to you. He says, indeed, it's here now. Here I am in the flesh. I am the one that you've been looking for. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, right? Because the Samaritans had an understanding of that too. They had an idea of what that meant. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Right, just like, mic drop. Like just imagine being this woman now. Right, go back into the story and you're having this conversation. You brought this bucket with you. This guy asks you for some water. You start to talk about living water. You get pretty excited. He tells you about your past. You're less excited, right? Like then this whole exchange happens and you start to talk about the theology of where you worship and why you worship. And then all of a sudden he says, and he's looking you in the eyes and it's just the two of you standing at this well. And he says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. What's going through the mind and the heart of that woman? What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? Check this out. Then his disciples came back. We're always late to the party. They, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Right? Notice they're not shocked to find him talking to a Samaritan because they were just in the village getting food and they're like, well, I guess we've crossed that one off. We go and talk to Samaritans now. Now they're like, he's talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? 
the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? She's in this spot right here, right? Face to face, I am the Messiah. You know what she does? Just starts running back to the village. And she's like, I have to tell you about this guy who knows everything I've ever done. And everybody in that village is like, we already knew everything you've ever done, right? Like there's 500 some people in the village. They're like, we know that. But for some reason, for some reason, they start to think and they start to wonder when they listen, right? But before we get to that, right? What's the, what's the first thing she did before she ran into the village? What did she leave? Her water jar. She leaves her water jar and runs into the village. And every time I read that and I think about that, I think about the way that when Jesus called the disciples to come and follow him, they laid down their nets. They left it all there, the things that defined them at that time. And they laid that down and they chose to go the other direction. And so she sets down her water jar and she runs into the village. And I think the real life question is, right? Like we've got to ask ourselves, what is our water jar? What is your water jar? What's the thing you tote around with you that you that carries your shame or that carries this thing that you think defines you, right? And what is it that you try to fill your life up with in that process? Where's the, where's the well you go to where you think you'll be filled, where you'll think you'll find meaning or purpose or satisfaction or whatever it is, belonging, everything you need? What is that well? Because maybe it's time to leave that water jar behind as well. Maybe it's time to set down the bucket. For me, my bucket, I'm just, I'm just gonna go first on my water jar here and then you can do your water jars later. My, mine is a desire for some sort, of, some sort of recognition or notoriety. I wanna be liked, I wanna be needed, I want affirmation. Oh, I want to be the hero, I accept gifts, right? Like all. Those things make me feel like that, that's what I want. That's the thing that will satisfy me. But that's the same water jar I need to let down. Because if I try and find all those things from all of you or from my wife or from my friends or from social media, like it's just gonna run out. It's gonna leave me empty. It's gonna leave me thirsting for more. So I've gotta leave that water jar. So what's your bucket? What's your water jar? What's it filled with? Right? And so here's this woman. She lays down her water jar and she runs into the village. And what does she do? She evangelizes. Like that's a fancy church word, right? You go and share your faith, go evangelize, go and do this. How does she do it? All she says is come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Right? That's like her four spiritual laws all tied up in one little thing. I come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Her entire message is founded on the fact that she is so known by Jesus in that space and in that time that she can't keep that story to herself. And so just imagine, right? Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. She drops the thing. She runs into the village shouting this thing. In verse 30, it leads to this. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. 
Imagine that scene. I just love that. She's hanging out with Jesus. She's like, I'm the Messiah. She sprints. And then all these people come like sprinting back, like streaming out of the village to see this guy. Just because she speaks it with what? Something so genuine, something so passionate, something so real, like connected with it. Right, and so off she goes and the people come streaming and then that would lead us to verses 31 through 38, which I'll summarize because remember, they don't all fit on the notes page and we don't got that kind of time. But what happens is the disciples come back with the food, right? And they're like, Jesus, eat something, drink something. Because what did Jesus ask for to start this whole thing? Water. Has he had a drink yet? No, man, the dude's parched. Right, like he's still, and now they brought him food because they've been walking all day. And they're like, eat something and drink something. And he says, I don't need those things. I don't need your water and I don't need your food because there's something so much more. He forgoes his physical needs to meet these great spiritual needs of this woman. And in the process of that, when he doesn't drink or eat anything, he's lost in the story too. He doesn't even think about it anymore. But right, there's something to that, isn't there? To be, to be so intently aware and so focused on the needs of others, to be, to be so intent on hearing the stories of people around you that you forget your own needs, that, you, that you've so invested in another place that you no longer have the, the personal hunger that you had when that started, it vanishes for the moment. Like, what does that look like? And then I think this, this whole thing is amazing up to this point, right? Like we're 38 verses in, and I guess personally, I'm pretty excited about it. You guys somewhat so, right? But it's amazing up to this point, but the next part is what blows my mind. Check this out in verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, They begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, right? The Samaritans begged Jesus to stay in their village. And so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to this woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. the village came streaming out and more and more and more over the next two days keep believing. The transformation is taking place throughout that whole village. The voice translation says it like this. Meanwhile, because one woman shared with her neighbors how Jesus exposed her past and present, the village of Sychar was transformed. Many Samaritans heard and believed. They began their faith journey because of the testimony of the woman beside the well. I just love that. There's two things in that that I I want to pull out again. You pull out whatever you need to from that, right? But the first one would be that your story matters. This woman shared her past and her present with all these people because it mattered. Her story matters, your story matters. Like embrace it, give credit to Jesus in the process of that story, but keep sharing it. Tell it some more, invite people into that. Make space to hear other people's stories. 
Because the truth is everything that you've been to in your life up to this point, and I, I know that's wide range of life experiences, good, bad, the worst, the best, all of that matters. All of it does. And then the second thing that I see in this is that sometimes we spend our time living off of other people's experience. Right, like that's why she's like, come and meet him for yourself. Come and meet Jesus for yourself. Stop using your, your spouse's story as the one that is your story or your friend's story or your parent's story or a celebrity's story. Like meet Jesus for yourself. Have your own transformation story, right? Stop living your past. Like, I think this is why we have a tendency to label this woman in the story like we talked about, because we're prone to be people of the past. Our past helps makes us who we are, but we don't have to live in that place over and over again. So with this woman, let's not treat her as a prostitute, right? Instead, let's treat her as the first evangelist, we're like, she's the first one to go and share Jesus and her whole village is transformed. That doesn't happen in the New Testament until Jesus is crucified, resurrects and ascends and leaves the Holy Spirit. And then people are like, oh, like this. Now we can do it. This is the time that it happens. She's the first evangelist. Nobody else was doing it. And like, here's the thing though. The same thing that she heard, Jesus is saying to you and I today, He's saying, I have the water that quenches the thirsting of your soul. Jesus is saying, your story matters to me and I want to set you free from living in your past and rewriting that story and helping you begin again. And he says, and I wanna use your story to point others to me. He's saying the same thing to us now. Because think about it, with the woman, like why is her story enough to lead people to Jesus? Because she didn't say much, right? It's because it was a genuine encounter. And that's something they couldn't deny. She ran back to the village filled with passion from this genuine encounter with Jesus. And there was something in the way she spoke. There was something in the way she ran. There was something in the, the way she looked at them. And it invited people to draw nearer to the presence of Jesus. And so they came streaming out of the village. It wasn't her sound theology. It wasn't her history of making really good choices. It was just communicating that she had a genuine encounter with a God who knows her and loves her. That's what she did. And so I'd say, imagine if, first of all, we just viewed ourselves the same way Jesus views that woman, right? That we thought of ourselves as known and loved as we are right now. And then as we let that become a part of who we are, imagine what it would be like then to go walk out in this world and keep viewing people that way the same way Jesus looks at this woman and sees her for something else, sees all the good in her, sees all the potential, sees all that she can be, sees all that he can rescue her and free her from. Imagine what it might mean just to love and see our neighbors in the same way. Because it's, it's amazing to me that as she goes, her story matters less to her than Jesus does by the time she tells everyone. This is the same woman who would walk to the well in the middle of the day all by herself because she didn't want to share her story and her life with other people. But she's had such a genuine encounter with Jesus that now it doesn't matter that story isn't something she keeps to herself. 
It's actually what she uses to invite people in. Like she, she's, she originally inv- avoids this, right? And now here she is after an encounter with Jesus, adding characters to the story. We see an entire village transformed. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine what that looks like in the places you live and the places you interact. To have the entire place transformed. Because isn't that what we hunger for? The same thing that this woman did was to be known by God and loved the same. Like to, to be identified that way. We think, I think, I think we think we want a God who fixes everything who makes everything right, who straightens everything out, who tells us exactly what to do. I think sometimes we think that's what we want. Like we, we, want, some, we want some rigidness because, you know, we don't want to decide ourselves. But I think what we're really searching for initially anyway is a God who fully and completely knows us. And then that's what leads us in the place in which things are fixed or healed or made new after that place because he knows everything about us, yet we're completely loved. And really that's like, that's the whole point I'm trying to make anyway. I spent 42 verses and 40 minutes and I could have just said that, I realized that. But that, that's, that's really, the, that's the gospel. That's the point again and again, right? And it's not for this woman at the well, it's not that Jesus wants to use her That's not why he comes to her, that he wants to use her, right? Apparently some people already did that. It's simply that Jesus loves her. And she can't keep that to herself. And so it is with you and I. They were so loved by Jesus, so known by Jesus, that we should never keep that to ourselves. Let's go ahead and set our things aside. I want to just give you some space and time to sit, uh, sit with God right now. How, whatever that looks like for you as you if you close your eyes or you want to pray or you want to just be silent. But maybe, maybe put your heart in a posture that maybe would do a few things. The first would be just acknowledge that you are loved. Like maybe this is a, the moment you have a genuine encounter with Jesus and you're, you're reminded of that and you're hearing it in a different way because the Spirit's doing something unique in you. Well, embrace that. Or maybe you need to press into what it is that you've been taking with you in your water jar all around and there's something you need to leave behind and you need to run into the village and tell others. Maybe there's people you need to invite into your story. Sit with him in that for a little bit and I'll close this here in a minute. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you sent him to earth to show us in flesh and blood who you are and what you're like. And we thank you that we see who you are and what you're like played out in the way that Jesus interacts with this woman at the well. And I pray that we would be reminded and that we would internalize and hold close the truth that while we are completely known by you, we are also completely loved. And I pray that that would just filter through our entire being and we would let what you think of us define us, God. That it wouldn't be some past like this woman had that would define us, but it would be what you think about us and what you say about us that defines us. And God, I also pray that 
we would just be humble enough and bold enough to acknowledge and, and set down the water jars in which we've been seeking out to satisfy our thirst or, or longing for purpose, belonging, meaning, whatever it is, God. Would you forgive us for seeking that in anyone else and anything else but you? And then God, I pray that by the power of your spirit in each one of us, that we would go and we would live the same way. After we acknowledge that we are loved and fully known by you, would we see others with the same eyes in which you see that woman at the well? And would we treat our neighbors and the people around us and love them that same way? And would we not be afraid to share our stories, to invite people into our stories and create places to listen to other people's stories, God? And as all of that takes place, would we continue, just like the woman who ran back into the village, would we continue to point to you and say, this is the one, the living water, the mountain who comes to you. Would we share that message and proclaim that message in all of our relationships and all of our interactions, God? Help us to love and live and serve you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.